0: security number, their background check um, uh, proved and stuff like that. I'm just kidding. We do have background checks. Um, but uh, meet your teacher and then you can pick them up a little bit later on. For the rest of us that are left in here this morning, I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word, whether it be in paper or electronically, Uh, and if you have Acts chapter 9 and all the references I'll use memorized today, feel free just to go ahead and think about those in your mind, all right? But I'm doubting that you do have that, but turn to Acts chapter 9 as we do continue this series in the book of Acts called The Mission of God, and we're going to be covering, Lord willing, this morning, verses 23 through 31 of chapter 9. Uh, And the title of the message this morning is The Training of Saul The Training of Saul The last two weeks we looked at The Conversion of Saul Part 1 and Part 2 And this week is The Training of Saul So if you would um, Not only bow your heads but also bow your hearts Before the Lord with me as we ask him to help us As we study his word this morning Lord uh, we are here Hopefully for one purpose And that is to bring you glory And Lord we can do that through our fellowship with each other the way we treat each other Uh, we can do that as we sing out to you lord as we um, cry out our love to you as we pray Uh, lord and and we just pray now as we come to this time that we pray we'll give you glory Uh, lord you would prepare our hearts and lord you would bring about change where we need to be changed we'll bring about conviction where there needs to be conviction And, Lord, uh, bring about conversion where there needs to be conversion. Lord, our hope is that you would do what only you can. And we ask you to do that. And that is uh, to use your word to bring about your purposes in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, who in here this morning uh, likes a good cup of coffee? Come on. Some of you are lying, all right. Yeah, we don't have anything against caffeine here, okay? So you're safe if you like coffee. Even if you like it decaffeinated, right? And I myself, as most of you know, I am not a coffee drinker. And there's many reasons for that. One started when I was young, growing up in our little Baptist church in the Ohio River in Kentucky. And we would always have these fellowships around in church and in the fellowship hall, because you have to have a fellowship hall if you're a church, especially if you're Baptist. And there's this coffee pot there, and all the old guys uh, who had just been smoking outside came in to now have their cup of joe. And they, they come in there, and they're drinking and talking. It just looks so manly. So I would go up and approach and and a number of times, I had this response that I couldn't have a cup of coffee because it would stunt my growth. All right? So I didn't want my my growth to be stunt. Stunted when I was younger, so I didn't drink any coffee. Also, my parents didn't drink coffee growing up, although my dad does drink coffee now. But they didn't drink coffee um, growing up. And so I just wasn't around it. I went to college. And they said, well, you'll start drinking coffee in college. And my, my friend who passed away this past May, Craig Mullins, who got a chance to see the Lord do a great work in his life here in, in, in the last part of his life. And, but he and I had the same major. We were captains on the football team together, and we studied together all the time. So all three years that we studied together, he, would, he was a coffee drinker. He made it every which way you possibly could. Well, I think there's more I've learned now, but every way I knew you possibly could. And I would try it. Oh, it was awful. I just never acquired the taste of coffee. Uh, I, I guess I'm not cultured enough to be a coffee drinker. However, our associate pastor, Jared Manning. Jared's right over here. He was up here leading singing. Jared uh, makes up for my lack of culture when it comes to drinking coffee. And if you know anything about Jared and his coffee drinking, you will agree. He drinks enough coffee for both of us, and he drinks it in enough different ways for all of us. So there's many different ways that you can make coffee, I've discovered. In fact, I've learned there was more than I originally had thought. I thought I'd seen it all. And a few weeks ago, I was over at Jared and Sarah's house. Um, My parents were in. We were over there watching a football game together. A bunch of other people were there as well. And uh, Jared... um, some and talk people are talking about coffee about having some coffee, so they want to have coffee. So Jared does what most people do when you want to have coffee. You go get your seventh grade chemistry set <laughs> and, and you put it out on your 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 um I don't know what you call that the big bar the area where fifteen people can sit around. I don't know what, the, what do you call that, Jared? Island. Yeah, we don't have an island, so um uh so fantasy island there right in the middle of his uh, um his 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 house there and literally in the middle of their house is their island but uh he brings out this thing that what it looked like a chemistry like beakers and stuff like that and and what in the world is this well i found out that it was it was something called a vacuum or a siphon coffee maker anybody seen one of these things I mean, it's really cool. So I'm like, what is that? And he's got like seven different other kind of coffee makers over in the corner, all right? So he's got this new thing and glasses and he's got a little thing, you know, heating up the water underneath and the coffee's in the top. and, And what happens is the water vaporizes, the water comes up into the top kind of thing. And then you take the heat off, it all pours back down this thing. I mean, it is really cool. And some of you got people who could probably explain it better than I did. I just tell you, it was cool. And I'm checking it out, and I'm thinking, that is really cool. I mean, if I was a coffee drinker, um, that would be a cool way to make it. However, if I was a coffee drinker, that's not the way, if I really desired to have a coffee coffee right now, that would not be the thing to do, because it took like 10 to 15 minutes for that thing to work, all right? And I'm thinking, how about the Keurig? He goes, oh, that's not coffee. Not a Keurig, all right? Uh, okay, uh, not, not a Keurig, all right? So, um, but... but um they assured me though that this was the best way that other people agreed with Jared it wasn't just Jared and his crazy ideas about coffee but other people assured me this is like the best way to drink it's the purest smoothest coffee I mean that would make me drink coffee right not me but most people I mean you just hearing that but not me and and, and I didn't They, they assured me you cannot rush the preparation of a good cup of coffee so if you have a Keurig don't tell Jared Um, but but I'll take their word for it because I'm not going to drink it that that is the best way um, to, to drink your coffee but they assured me again you cannot rush a good cup of coffee but in a much greater way you cannot rush spiritual growth you cannot rush God's plan for your life to train you to be ready for the ministry he has called for you you can't rush that and if we're all honest we want the rush course don't we We want it to be done like that. We want the curing life is what we want. But it doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way in Scripture. It never happens that way in anybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot rush good spiritual growth. It takes time to be trained in order to be effective in ministry. Um, In some ways, we're always being trained by the Lord always being trained by the Lord to be more effective in carrying out our part in the fulfillment of the mission of the church which is to take the gospel to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation so they too can be transformed like we saw Paul or saw who became Paul transformed. That's the mission of the church and God is training all of us to better and be more effective fulfill the mission of the church. We don't like to wait We've got instant everything. I mean, you go, to, you, you go to any restaurant and it seems like quicker and quicker and quicker service. But not always better and better and better food. It doesn't work that way in God's economy. He trains us over time and we most definitely have to wait. We have to wait. We have to be patient with His training of us. So let me ask you this question as we think about this passage this morning: How is the Lord training? How is the Lord's training of you going? How's that process going in your life? Well, this, nor- this morning as we, we study these verses in chapter nine, verses twenty-three through twenty or thirty-one, uh, and specifically look at the early days and years of Saul after his conversion, we're going to witness the Lord's training of Saul. And uh, if you see what happens in his training, you may not want to sign up. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, this is not maybe exactly what you signed up for once we begin to work down through here, but the Lord is in the process of training Saul here. And after I walk down through these verses and explain them, I'm going to come back and point out some, some implications uh, for, in, in particular, that will lead to application in our own life. Uh, last week, we, we looked at the evidence of transformation in Saul's life. saw Saul, a number of those things in his life, and we ended... Um, with Saul's transformation and that it resulted in fellowship with the Lord's people and the proclamation of the Lord. Look there in in verses 19 through 22 again the second half of 19 I just remind you that the the verse numbers are not inspired they were added later so we could find our place so I'm not going to begin some of you, you can't quote half a verse yes you can quote half a verse who said you couldn't? Alright, and often if you, you go with the numbers, it messes everything up. I've, I've shown you that many, many times. So, we can, it's, it's, it's a new thought in the middle of chapter, uh, of uh, verse 19. So, it starts with the word now, in my, in, in my translation, New Bernard Standard. It is now, for several days, he, speaking of Saul, was with the disciples who were at Damascus. He was with the disciples. We saw he was fellowshipping with believers. The very ones he came to hunt down and to kill, he's now fellowshipping with him. What an evidence of the transformation in the life of Saul. Now, verse 20, and, I, and he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. What a transformation. From those who came to persecute Je- those who followed Jesus to proclaiming Jesus with his own life and his mouth. And, and this is the irony of ironies. The one that he gave approval, Stephen, of his stoning, the killing of Stephen. Stephen was preaching to Hellenistic Jews. Those who were more Greek-speaking Jews that didn't, weren't, didn't grow up in Judea, didn't grow up in Jerusalem, weren't uh, uh, kosher Jews, you would probably say. Um, and guess who's doing the same thing now? Paul or Saul doing the exact same thing Stephen was doing he's proclaiming Christ to these people and he was a Hellenistic Jew himself amazing how God flipped the tables he turned the tables on Saul and changed him so that's kind of where we ended last week so now the great apostle Paul or Saul at this point is now ready to go right to the top when it comes to being effective in ministry right I mean he's just going to climb the ladder of success in ministry that's what's going to happen right Well, that's so fast. What happens next in the life of Saul is actually unexpected. If we were writing it, if we were to tell the story uh, of Saul, if we were to make it up, we would not do what happens next, I promise you. And that, again, gives evidence to the the, the authenticity and the inerrancy of Scripture uh, that it's got to be from God. Now look with me at first here at this phrase of, of verse 23. When many days had elapsed. You translate it when many days had passed. This phrase in English can be deceiving. It can actually be understood as this. When many, 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 many days had passed. Like in years. That's what the phrase can mean. And we know from other places in scripture, that's exactly what it does mean here. There's more to the story that we ha- than we have in Acts. And guess what? Paul is so gracious to tell us the more of the story. The rest of the story, as Paul's heart would say. That you can't see right here in Acts. But when you look in Galatians chapter 1, which I'm going to ask you to turn with me to, you can see it. So I want to encourage you. Turn over in, in your Bibles or slide over in your phones or whatever you got to Galatians chapter 1 and I want you to see this This is so important to understanding what's going on in Acts chapter 9. Please understand that to understand scripture, scripture interprets scripture and you need to see what's the most important part when you study the Bible. Starts with a C. Context. And not just the immediate context, but the context of of the whole book of Acts, and the context of Paul's epistles, the context of the New Testament, the context of the Bible as a whole. And here we get some context to help us understand what's going on in Acts chapter 9 from Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read a a, a portion here, most of chapter 1, and then come back and point a few things out. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 11, down through verse 21. Here we go. This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. For I, know, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was pe- preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to per- persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. We've already seen that in Acts. All right? And I was advancing in Ju- Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral transitions. But... When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away to Arabia and, once, and return once more to Damascus then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stay with him 15 days but I did not see any of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother now when I'm writing to you I assure you before God that I'm not lying then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia what is all this about? Well, this is what happens between the first phrase of of verse 23 and the rest of, chapter 23 of chapter 9 of Acts, all right? Verse 23, chapter 9 of Acts. That little phrase there that many days had passed. These are the many days that passed, and this is what happened. And then we pick back up with the story. now in verse 16 all right it says there in, in in Galatians 1 he he did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles so he says then that three years later he returned to Damascus which which was followed by a trip to Jerusalem Saul spent three years in Arabia the desert the wilderness Now, when you sign up for Christianity, somebody said, "Hey, the first thing that's going to happen, like right after you become a believer, maybe you get to tell somebody a few people about Jesus. We're going to send you to the wilderness." Who signs up? Yeah, they didn't tell Saul that either. All right, but that's what happens. Three years he goes to the desert, to the wilderness, and this was the first step in the Lord's training of Saul. He got him alone. He got him alone. He's in the midst of all these people. His his life had been about the busyness of life. He just he was he was um, excelling beyond all of his contemporaries. He was studying. He was at the university, and he was around all these people. And his whole life had been about being around all people and, and pursuing position and power. And one of the first things the Lord does is gets him alone, and not at the Hilton either. This is a tough place he's at just the, the surroundings he's not around all of his friends even his new friends he had met he got him alone he needed to spend time with the lord away from the hustle and the bustle of the crowds in public ministry and this is very similar to what happened to a man named Moses who his life 120 years was 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 broken up in 40 year increments his first 40 years he was the prince of Egypt you see that movie all right the prince of Egypt. he was the prince of Egypt he was raised as Pharaoh even it was Hebrew, he was raised as Pharaoh's son and it had all the comforts that we, you would all want in that day and age, all the privileges you would want in that day and age. and then the Lord calls him, this is the burning bush if you've ever read much of the Bible in this amazing episode And then calls him to deliver his people Israel from out of bondage in Egypt and Moses whoa, 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 whoa hold on all right but but what happens, though, in, in, in the meantime, the Lord, he, kills a, he kills an, he kills a, an Egyptian. Uh, Pharaoh finds out about it, gets upset. He gets driven, basically runs, runs out of Egypt to a place called Midian for 40 years. And I love this. He's the shepherd of someone else's sheep. I mean, you couldn't get worse. I mean, if you're a shepherd, it's, it's pretty bad anyway. It's not a, a nice job. But if you're the shepherd of someone else's sheep, it's even worse. And then he gets married, which brings more humility to him. and he and his wife are always on the same page for 40 years God takes him to this place called Midian a wilderness area a desert area for 40 years and then he brings Moses back and uses him greatly who wants to sign up for 40 years in the wilderness before God uses you in the most effective way None of us we want to sign up for that. That's what happens to Moses. And in fact, Elijah was also called and prepared in this region as well. The Arabian Desert, Midian, and, and where Elijah came from are all in the same area. So God prepares Moses, he prepares Elijah, he prepares Saul. I love what Kent Hughes says in reference to this. There is divine poetry here. At Sinai, Moses received the law. Now at Sinai, Saul learns grace. All in the same region. When the Lord Jesus first appeared to Saul, Saul asked, Who are you? Who are you? And, and, and Jesus gave him the short answer first. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But now in these three years in Arabia, Jesus was going to give him a longer and more in-depth answer. And oh, did Saul need a longer and more in-depth answer. And my guess, just knowing um, what we know about Saul, he knew the scriptures, but he had a misunderstanding of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures up to this point. And Jesus needed to get him away and get him straightened out. So I'm sure he was thinking through, and the Lord was bringing these scriptures to his mind. He was studying the scriptures and listening to the Lord as he, he, he corrected his theology so he would understand who the Lord truly was and who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And all the things that he would learn about Jesus... In those three years in Arabia, which we are all recipients of his time in Arabia, I can tell you that right now, all of us benefit from Paul's time of training in Arabia. His letters to the churches, his letters to Timothy and Titus and Philemon, all began to to, to surface right here as God began to, to to minister and transform and make him more like Jesus and transform his thinking. I think about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Oh, how Paul learned that in Arabia. How about this one? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 are one of my favorites. You all probably ought to say it with me, right? If you've done marriage counseling with me, I may have you come up here and say it right now. Alright, this is the first thing you, you, uh, you learn. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind in yours just like Christ Jesus, and I keep going. Think, uh, these, these thoughts and these understandings of who God was, and he was completely selfless. Jesus put us before himself on the cross for the glory of God. And these things began to surface in his thinking and his heart in those times in Arabia. I really believe that. How about Galatians 2.20? I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And oh, how Paul learned how much Jesus really loved him there in that time in Arabia. And, you know, we could go on and on. I think one of the best summaries of the things that Jesus taught Saul in that time of training, the three years in Arabia, probably summed up well in his letter to the Romans. In Romans 11, through 36 Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to who him are all things to him be the glory forever amen how gracious God was to Saul to let him spend that time to train him to fall and deeper in love with this man he asked who are you who are you? And oh Jesus showed him who he was. And it changed Saul forever. And we're the recipients again of so much that he learned. God teaches us through Paul. Where well, the Lord teaches us something very important here. In taking Saul off to train him for these three years. First time alone with Jesus in his word is a must. If we are going to be trained and used by him. We've got to have time alone, for away from the hustle and the bustle, away from the pursuit of power and prestige and positions. We've got, to, we've got to get away from that. We have time alone with the Lord Jesus Christ so we can understand and have the question answered for us, who are you, Lord? Who are you? It doesn't happen in the, the midst of the hustle and bustle of life. It happens alone at the feet of Jesus and His Word as He teaches us, as we pour over it, and He pours it into our hearts and makes us more like Jesus. That's how it happens. Also, there's another thing here that we need to learn. Do not put a young follower of Christ in a position of leadership or high-profile position too early. I mean, can you you think about Saul? I mean, this guy was the poster child to go on the Christian-speaking circuit like this. Wouldn't he? I mean, this guy was the hater and the murderer of Christians. Now all of a sudden he's a Christian. Well, who, I bet he could probably charge about 10,000 bucks every speaking engagement. I mean, this is incredible. We should use him. God needs Saul. How could God do his mission without Saul? He needs him. He finally got him on his side. Now God can get busy, right? Sometimes we think that. But Paul himself instructed Timothy in this very same way. What well, he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.6, and then speaking about elders and leaders in the church, and not a new convert, which means newly planted, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Not newly planted, so his mind won't come puffed up that he's something. Don't take a new convert and put him in a leadership position, but I see it happen all the time. It's unfair to that person, and it's unfair to the people that they're called to lead. To put them in that way. I worked for Fellowship for that, for Christian Athletes for years, for many years before I came here. And uh, here's what I would see happen. Some high, high profile athlete would say, yeah, I love Jesus. Or I want to thank God for my performance today. Or they'd bow in the end zone and pray or whatever it was. And then everybody wants them to come and speak. And I'm not saying this happened er- all the time. But often I would see this. As they would have this person come and speak. And he would speak four or five places. And then the next thing you read, he's divorcing his wife and, and, and got three other women on the side. And it's nothing that we don't sin, but they put him in a position where he didn't need to be yet. Somebody had to come alongside of him. He needed to get along with Jesus first and grow and mature and be trained so that he could be used in a greater way. Or she. Let's be careful about putting out high-profile people. Just because they say they love Jesus. And they may really. But they need to be set aside for a while. To be trained. So that they're not newly planted. So their roots go deep. That's the thing. They go deep. And they not, their head won't get puffed up. They'll get more humble. The deeper they go with Jesus. Well so we see that the Lord got Saul alone. So he could further answer Saul's question of who he was. Then in Galatians 1 tells us he, that he returned to Damascus. Okay, he's in Arabia, and he comes back to Damascus, which is where chapter 9 is. If you want to flip back there to chapter 9 of Acts uh, 23, now we pick up, all right? We just spent three years right there. Three years like that. How long was that? We just covered three years. It's pretty quick, huh? Three years. And, and a lot of us are like, hey, oh, oh, it's my training. It takes that long. Count me in. All right? Three years. Here we go. Just spent three years. Pick back up with the second half of um, verse 23 down through 25. The Jews plotted together to do away. He's come back to Damascus now with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that the, they might put him to death. But he, his disciples took him by the night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Now notice that even after three years of training, Saul didn't come back and experience an easy ministry. In fact, it was hard. I mean, he just spent three years in the Sinai Seminary. And he's given his first church. And he comes back and they run him out of the church. Can you imagine? That's basically what happened. Did he just waste those three years? Some would think that. It's hard. And he begins to experience what the Lord told Ananias about him. Look back in chapter 9 there. Look at verse 16. And, and the Lord's speaking to Ananias. Ananias, I want you to welcome this guy named Saul. He's coming. But let me tell you. Verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Saul begins to realize how much he must suffer for the name of Christ. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. He understands he's going to have to suffer Paul would later remind Timothy of this truth in 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed all who live, desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you signed up for this Christianity thing and you thought it was going to be a bed of roses you better erase your name because that's how it is. It's not a bed of roses. It's hard. And what is so often sold as Christianity in our world today, especially in third world countries, is not the gospel at all. And if you want to read what Paul has to say about that, go read the first part of Galatians we didn't read. Let them be accursed. Let them be eternally condemned for preaching that kind of garbage. It's tough. And Saul shows us that. Jesus showed us that. If you're going to live godly, if you're going to follow out the Lord Jesus Christ, expect to be persecuted. Saul's training in Arabia partially prepared him for this did you hear that partially prepared him for this all those years three, three years come on that should have, he should be ready for all of it it partially prepared him for this but his training was not over it was an ongoing process oh gosh there's more yeah we're eternal students when we follow Christ we're always in school we're always under training and this difficulty was part of that Someone has rightly said, "God ruthly, ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. Ruthlessly perfects. It's difficult, but He's using it for our good. The Lord uses all this difficulty to train us up." A good friend of mine who passed away last year, in August, Bob Warren, taught me many things. Taught me the importance of sitting the feet with Jesus when I was 20 two years old he showed me this actually what in Acts and Galatians. It's neat to be able to think about what he taught me here. And one of the things he always told me, never trust a man who doesn't limp. Never trust a man who doesn't limp. Who's never been through pain. Or at least doesn't make you think he's been through pain. You trust people who've been through pain, through difficulty. And that's how God perfects us and he makes us more like Jesus is a lot of it not always but a lot of it is through pain and that's what he did with Saul now think about James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 consider all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let that endurance have its perfect result so you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing embrace the hardship knowing that God's using it for his glory and for your good to train you and as Spurgeon once said, I've said this before, I've learned to kiss the waves that slap me against the rock of ages. And he wants us to learn that difficulty is good for us. And he's using it to train us. Now let's look at verse 26 here in Acts 19. and We'll go down through verse 28. When he came into Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Even though Saul had known the Lord now for three years a lot of the people in Jerusalem hadn't met him yet they may have heard about him but they hadn't met him yet and they rightfully were still a little bit fearfully fearful about Saul he was the guy who came to kill him and now he's back on the scene and he's like a Christian they don't want anything to do with him at first but this guy named Barnabas which means I love this name Barnabas means son of encouragement son of encouragement what a great name and that was Barnabas that's what you see all throughout the book of Acts about Barnabas He's a son of encouragement. He comes along. He, he listens to Saul. He hears his story. He sees what God's been doing in his life. And he takes, as his friend, he takes Saul and he, he brings him along and he introduces him to the disciples at Jerusalem. And uh, in particular, Peter and James, which we learned from Galatians 8, 1, 18 and 19, which we just read. And Galatians 1, 18 tells us that he was only with Peter for 15 days just 15 days there in Jerusalem with Peter short but sweet here we see that the Lord begins to use other people to train Saul we all need others don't we to help out with the training all of us need other people to help in our training and God brings people into our lives puts us in other people's lives to help with that training process here he brings Barnabas he meets Peter for the first time he meets James the Lord's brother half brother All right. he meets these, and even in those 15 days I'm sure there's some sweet fellowship as he talked about the things that the Lord had been teaching them I'm so thankful for the people that the Lord's brought in my life to help train me just think about that I got wonderful parents that pointed me to Jesus I'll never forget that and they still point me to Jesus what a gift that God brought that brought me into their family Maybe it's not your parents, maybe it's somebody else. God me, brought me a great wife that loved Jesus. Uh, she didn't know the Lord that long, before, just a few years since when we met, and I remember we used to talk and have these phone dates. And she got all excited one night and told me the Lord had. She, um, uh, showing her a, a new book of the Bible. And I said, oh my gosh, she's a heretic. <laughs> and, it, it, and it was Ecclesiastes, she pronounced it wrong, everything like that. But she was so excited to be in the Word of God, and God was changing her life. And that's what me, drew, drew me to her, is that she loved Jesus. And she sharpened me over the years, believe me. And you know she's still sharpened me, if you know her and us. Um, so thankful for that. I'm thankful for being like Bob Warren. taught me to pursue the heart of God and not just information <laughs> I'm thankful for godly coaches that I had so blessed to have godly coaches in my life They didn't just make me a better athlete but they made me sure it made remind me that it's not about the sport it's about the Savior how blessed God's brought you all into my life To help me grow and help train me to be more effective for the ministry God doesn't have now, but tomorrow, the next day, and the next week, and the years to come. What a blessing that God would bring people in life to train us. To be effective for the ministry. And God's given me six children to help train me. Hold on, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Well, yeah, I'm supposed to train them. But they're training me all the time. Their trust in the Lord sometimes far outweighs mine. I can tell you that. And I'm thankful. I better move on. We're never going to get done. <laughs> now that Saul has met Barnabas, Peter, and James, it's smooth sailing now, right? Everything's good. I mean, he's met Peter, right? Look what it says in verse 29. And he, was taking, and he was talking and arguing, speaking of Paul, with the Hellenist Jews, here he is back where Stephen was, that they were attempting to put him to death. How ironic. Verse 30, but when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Paul also records there in Galatians 121, when he writes, he records the same thing, that this is what happened. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And guess where's, where Tarsus is? It's in Cilicia. It's his hometown, Tarsus, which he mentions here in Acts. Saul's three years in Arabia were not the end of his training. Instead, they were the beginning of what the Lord would use to take him out of the spotlight, out of the limelight, again, and he takes him to Syria and Cilicia. And this isn't where all the fun stuff's happening. It's all happening around Jerusalem and Judea right now. And he takes him away to give him further training and it will be around listen to this another 10 years before Saul who would become Paul shows back up on the scene at least in the book of Acts he disappears and it's, 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 it's around 10 years there's debate exactly how long from 9 to 13 or something like that but um, Barnabas goes then and, and he gets him We'll see this in Acts 11.25 and and brings him to Antioch to help with the ministry there. But he had been gone again for like 10 years. Hold on. That's at least 13 years of training. 13 years of training. Obviously Saul was doing ministry there in his time in in, in Cilicia and Syria and and the Lord was using this to, to, to train him and train him for all the missionary journeys he was getting ready to go on. He used that time there in Saul's life, to take the gospel, where? To the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. This reminds us that the Lord's training of us is a process. Hear that word? It's a process. It never ends. Now look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it continued to increase notice how Acts 1.8 you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the uttermost part of the earth look at what it says in Acts 1.8 Judea, Galilea, Galilee, and Samaria how it's being fulfilled right here before us many people make much, much fact that the church enjoyed peace when Saul was gone Right, a lot of people read along that. Ah, did, you know, we, we got Saul out of the way, now the church can enjoy peace. Now, because of Saul was a polarizing figure, yes, there's that part. It wasn't because Saul was an egomaniac. It wasn't because um, Saul was a problem. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ. There was just a, a natural thing that would happen because the most polarizing figure as a, a Jewish um, for a Jewish per- person or Hellenistic Jew would have been Saul. So yes, he's removed, and there's peace in that sense. Um, but the key point here for Luke is that the church was growing even after the persecution. It didn't knock the church down. It didn't got stop, stop God's mission at all. That's the key point here in verse thirty-one. Not that Saul's gone and how we have peace now. Um, and this this is part of the parentheses that begins. If you got your opened your Bible still Acts eight one. This is this is kind of a section. This is the, the eight one is the beginning of the section, and and, and nine thirty one is the end of this section of of Acts and. Look what it says in 8.1. Saul was in hearty agreement with, uh, with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And you come back here to, to 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, where, that's where all the people were scattered. You see that? And, and it was enjoying growth, and it was enjoying sweet fellowship and peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it continued to increase. It's kind of ending this section, this story, to see what happened with the the persecution. God used it for his glory to fulfill his mission. And Saul became part of that. We're also reminded of this. Saul was taken out, remember that, at least for 10 years. We're reminded that no one is indispensable in the fulfillment of the mission of the church. Are you kidding? The church continued to grow without Saul, the apostle Saul. It did. It did right there where he was. They didn't need him. We've got to be reminded that God does not need us. He does not need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't at all. That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? It's going to hurt our self-esteem, right? Oh no. Our self-esteem. And none of us have a problem with self-esteem, I guarantee you right now. The first person we think about is us if we all be honest, right? We have any problem with self-esteem truth is he doesn't need us but he graciously chooses to use us how humbling could that should that be well so what what is all this about what's it have to do with me and you hopefully you've seen it throughout this passage and this let remind you of some implications that will hopefully lead to application in your life the Lord's training begins with time alone with Jesus in his word not in the midst of the hustle and bustle in time alone with Jesus in his word how's that going That's the means by the gift of the Holy Spirit through His Word that He grows us to understand Him more and to know Him more and to fall deeper in love with Him more. If you want to be moved by Jesus and everybody wants to be moved by Jesus today, right? You want to have a great experience with Jesus? Get in His Word. Get in His Word. And He will use that to train you to renew your mind which brings about transformation in our life. Training begins with time alone with Jesus and his word. In other words, training, secondly, training includes other people. It includes other people. And this is not an option. It's not just about you and your growth. It includes other people and God uses other people and expects us to be about this as well. What course it says in 2 Timothy 2:2, these things which you have heard from me in presence of many witnesses and trustees of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, now you think, well that was Paul to Timothy that had anything to do with me ah yes it does how many generations do you see in this verse how many generations count them Paul Timothy others who will be able to teach others and the insinuation is it's an ongoing thing how do you think we know what we know It just passed along and he's telling Timmy to to be intentional to teach others who will be faithful men who will be able to teach others the the purpose to teach them so they will teach others so that they will teach others and they will teach others and that they will teach others. We can't be Dead Sea Christians where it's all intake and no outflow. God's called us all to be involved in life with other people. Let me ask this question. Who in your life is God using to train you? Who? Who is it? Think about that. Hopefully you could write a bunch of people's names down. Maybe one. Hey, at least one. And here's the other question. Who is God using you to train? Because he calls us all to do that. All of us. In order that they might train and teach others as well. We're all called to this. The Lord's training includes other people. And thirdly, the Lord's training is an ongoing process. You don't graduate. Did you hear that? You don't graduate until you're in the presence of the Lord one day. Oh my gosh. I can't think about not graduating. That's the worst experience of my life. Alright. Well this is the most wonderful experience in your life. You get new courses all the time. It's awesome. And if you think you can drop the course. You can drop it but you have to take it over. Alright. right. (laughs) drop add he'll just keep adding it fourthly the Lord's training reminds us it's not about us we are not indispensable and I'm reminded of this even this morning Zechariah 4.6 not by might or by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts it's not by my power or my intellect or my training even but by the power of the spirit in me 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast, rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's not about us, it's about him. And just uh, mention this to a couple people this morning. To be totally honest, um, this morning, I don't feel good. I felt really bad when I got up. And I told Jared he was getting ready to get the call that no associate pastor likes to get. You've got to preach this morning, brother. Um, Jared would have done fine. I know that. Um, but last minute, it's tough. Especially when you value the word of God like we do here. And you want to be careful to handle the word of God and cut it straight. And a buddy of mine texted me this morning good friend and he said hey Brian I'm, I just pray he didn't text me every Sunday I don't know if he's ever texted me on a Sunday before and he said Brian I just let you know I'm just praying that the Lord will use it to, to bring his word to his people and whatever's going on in your life or their life that he'd be glorified now you don't know I'm not like a mystical woo kind of guy but I do believe the Lord works and I believe he put it on my friend's heart to send me that text this morning because I needed to hear that I got up. I could hardly stand. I was so dizzy. Um, I, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to make it. I mean, I felt awful in every way. And the Lord just began to make me feel a little better. Still feel great, but feel better. I said, Lord, thank you so much that you sent that man to my life to remind me it's not about me. It's really not how, how I feel. Does it really matter how I feel? God can still do his work in spite of that. And I'm just reminded it's, it's, it, in, the, in, in my weakness and weariness that it's about him. And lastly here, I don't have the right reference on this. This is actually Isaiah 40, 29. This is what he texted me. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. That's what he texted me this morning. That can only be explained by God. I can tell you that. In our weariness and our weakness, he uses us to bring him glory because it's not about us if you're this morning and you don't know the Savior you don't know this Jesus that loves Saul so much that he would spend all this time training him I want you to know him I want you to know that it's not about you it's about God and it's about his glory and the Bible tells us we we think it's all about us that we we don't meet his glory we fall short of his glory because we sin we go our own way and God says the wages of that, that the result of that will be death eternal separation from God forever that's the result of that kind of thinking that God loved us so much that in his mercy and his grace he sent Jesus to pay our sin debt on the cross that we might be forgiven be given a new heart be made right with God and the Bible says we gotta do something we can't just say hey that's a great story but we gotta do what Saul did is we've got to turn from trusting in our own goodness, in our own works, and turn and trust completely in what Jesus did on our behalf. That's what makes us right with God. My prayers, if you haven't done that, that you do that, and watch how the Lord begins to train you. For those of you who have, embrace God's training of you, so you may be more effective in the fulfillment of the mission of the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and loving us to see into the life of Saul and how you lovingly formed and trained and molded him. And Lord, I'm overwhelmed as I'm reminded of that process that has gone on and is going on and will go on even in my life. Lord, your grace is amazing. Pray we'd never get over it. Lord, I pray that you would graciously open up the hearts of those who are here this morning who don't know you who don't know Jesus, who have never embraced him as their Savior and their Lord, that they might know the joy of knowing him and knowing you. For the rest of us, Lord, remind us that you love us enough to train us for what you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.